Good morning, everybody. How beautiful has it been the last few days? Beautiful mountains, just clear, surf pumping. Well, we are in Ephesians chapter 5 today. We're going to do one verse. Whoa. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're only going to do one verse, but however, we're going to cover multiple chapters of the Bible. Because that one verse is so powerful. And uh, well, let's just read it. It's uh, chapter 5. Say amen if you're there. And it is verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Father, we thank you for um, this piece of scripture. It just reminds us that uh, we are not only to submit ourselves completely over to you, but we're to submit ourselves unto one another. That we should have an attitude of serving and not to be served. Just like you came into the world not to be served, but to serve others and to lay down your life a ransom for many. And so, Lord, you were the great example. And so we pray that today, by the Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts and stir us up on the inside. Change us, Lord. Make us more like you. Draw us close. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I was going to do husbands and wives this week. And um, I got like halfway through the week and I was like thinking, you know what? I, I, can't, I can't step into that realm yet. Because we really need to get a hold of the, the, the four verses that come before that. And it's so important because if we can't grab onto those four verses, we're never going to be able to do what Paul's telling us that God wants us to do as husbands and wives. We will never be able to finish this book and do what the rest of the book says for like how children are to obey their parents, how, how we're supposed to be as employees and employers, and how we're supposed to stand and fight against the enemy and spiritual warfare and darkness, you know, and, and how do we do all that thing, all that stuff. And we won't be able to do any of those things unless we grab onto, number one, what God thinks of us Chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then number 2, the four verses that are prior to talking about husbands and wives. And when he gets to husbands and wives, it, it's, it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. But you won't be able to do these things as a wife. You won't be able to do these things as a husband unless you grab on to verses 18 through 21. And so we should just back that up. That's the only way that we're going to have a successful life. So look what it says there in verse 18. It says, Be not drunk with wine in excess or with dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks. Being thankful, having a grateful heart always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting one another in the fear of God. Those are key verses right there to be success successful in the kingdom of God. See, the world looks at success totally different than you and I. The idea of success in the world is that you're on the top and how many people you got serving you. The more people that are serving under you in the world speaks of success for someone that's in the world. But what God does is He flips that pyramid and He does it the other way. Success in the kingdom of God is how many people you serve. 
Are you more concerned with others than yourself? That's what this whole little portion of section is, is all about. It's like, are you other-centered or are you self-centered? Now, we're all a little self-centered, right? Say amen, you're in church. We all have a little pride, right? God wants us to put that down. God hates pride. God hates selfishness. He hates selfish ambition. What He loves to see is His children acting like He acted when He was here. He humbled Himself, came down fashion in the likeness of man, came to serve and not to be served. And when we grab onto that and we become these servants who are other-centered, watch what God will do in the church. Watch what He'll do in your life. We need to surrender completely to God. I mean, I, I, look at, I look at these Scriptures. I look at verse 18 when it says, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea is continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you haven't made it out to one of our Wednesday night prayer and worship nights, you are really doing your ser- yourself a disservice. They have been rocking an hour of worship and praying and breakthroughs and people just like getting it and God just showing up. Being filled with the Spirit. We can't do anything on our own. we got to stop trying to do church on our own. God says, let me make it easy for you. I'll give you the power. Why would I want it any other way? So the, the idea of being filled with the Spirit is a constant filling the Bible says you have not because you ask not. You need to be filled continually. We, we, we're not only saved, born again with the Spirit dwelling in us. We not only have the Holy Spirit with us and in us, but it's that Holy Spirit coming upon us that He wants, that filling the power and the promise of the Father so we can do all things in Jesus' name, so we can submit to one another. And then he says, speaking to one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Do you have a song in your heart? I don't know. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm already singing. It's crazy. It's cool. And when my prayer life gets kind of dry, can anybody relate? I'll tell you what. Sing a song. Watch your prayer life change. All of a sudden, you're like, okay, this sounds like a Christmas wish list. It's kind of the same old thing. Um, Let me sing a song. And when you sing that song and praise the Lord Jesus Christ, He shows up in a powerful way, and you'll just start weeping and giving thanks and praise. And see, see when He says singing psalms and hymns, what He's saying to each and every one of us, listen to this, check this out. We we are to be encouraging each other in the Word. Because if you're singing the psalms, you know, read the psalms. It's the Word of God. Hello. (laughs) The hymns. Is the Word of God. And so you're encouraging one another in the Word of God. And then he says there in verse uh, 20, he says, and giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are to be a thankful people. We are to be grateful people. Thankful and grateful. You know, there's a lot of people out there that always are folk, and they're Christians too, that always focus on what they don't have. Do you see the glass half empty or half full? Are you focused on what you don't have or are you thankful for what you do have? We really need to flip that thing. We need to stop focusing on what we don't have. You know, a lot of the stuff that you don't have is because God knows you won't do very well with it. Right? And that's probably why I don't have any money. Because if I had a lot of money, I probably wouldn't be relying on God. 
And so there's things that God takes away from us and doesn't allow us to have for our own benefit. But if we're only going to focus on what we don't have and not on what we have, oh man, we're going to miss the boat. We're going to miss God's blessing and what He has for us. And so we need to understand that we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be encouraging each other in the Word of God. We need to be thankful and grateful for everything that we have. We have so much more than most of the world. Hello. If you don't think so, go on a missions trip. And then we're to be submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Now, question. Can you be born again and not be filled with the Spirit? Yeah, you can. You say, well, how does that work? Wait a minute, I'm saved. I've got, I've got Jesus dwelling in me. I know, you do. You're born again, you're saved. You have Christ in you. You have the Holy Spirit with you, the Holy Spirit in you. You're sealed with the Spirit. I get all that. But the being filled is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The being filled is the thing that follows in our walk constantly. Being filled is, is something that we are asking the Father to do all throughout the day, all throughout our life. Lord, fill me with the power and the promise of the Father to do all things in Your name. And that's what Jesus told His disciples who were already born again at the end of John's Gospel. But he said, wait here in Jerusalem till you receive the power and the promise of the Father. He was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Receiving that power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you in such a mighty way that you're able to do the things that you can't do in your normal flesh. So you can be born again, but not filled with the Spirit. You know how I can always tell if someone's filled with the Spirit? Love. Love just pours out of them. You ever been around a grumpy Christian? Negative Christian. I mean, you know, not filled with the Spirit. Hello? Can you be born again and not be encouraging? All right, one person agrees with me. Can you be born again and not thankful or grateful? Can you be born again and not submitting unto God or unto one another? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're saved. You're going to heaven, but you're missing out on what God has for you. You, you know, you're going to get to, from point A to point B. Point B is heaven. You're going to get there. You're either going to take it in a straight line following after him, or you're going to be doing this side-to-side -side thing like an earthquake. And you're, you know, oh, you're getting forward, but man, because you won't surrender, it's going to take forever, and you're going to miss everything that God has for you. So you can be born again, not spirit-filled. You can be someone that doesn't encourage people. You're not thankful. You're not grateful. You're not submitting to others because you haven't learned to submit to God. Right? You say stuff like, God's my co-pilot. Well, if God's your co-pilot, switch places. He needs to be the pilot. You don't tell him what to do. He tells you what to do, and he does it with love and kindness and grace because he knows what's best for you. Hello? Isn't it funny when your children try to tell you what they need, and you're like, no, you don't need that. And they think you're just such, such a horrible person, but you know what's best for your children. Do you believe that God knows what's best for you? I want to give you an example of um, a person who loved God, who had faith, who was called by God, but didn't want to submit to God, wasn't grateful, wasn't thankful, wasn't filled with the Spirit, 
and kind of wanted to do things his way. And some of you know who I'm talking about. Jonah. That was, that was Jonah's heart. Jonah was that kind of a guy. He, he, let's, let me just read Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to you. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went into it and to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Until God made his plan a little more clear. Right? Okay, so before you're too hard on Jonah, let's, let's just try to consider where he was at. Nineveh was probably one of the wickedest nations, cities, of all time known for torturing their enemies in such a way that it just struck fear into anybody's heart when they heard Nineveh was coming for their town no doubt Jonah had friends or family that were brutally tortured and murdered by the Ninevites and so when God says hey here's the deal uh, their evils come up before me. I need you to go to them and, and have a message. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach because, you know, if they don't turn from their wicked ways, in 40 days they're going to be destroyed. And Jonah was like, awesome. I'm going the other way. Right? Let the 40 days run out. Let the place get nuked. Amen. Hate those guys. Isn't it funny how sometimes we can forget the grace that God showed us? And just focus on everybody needs, that person needs judgment. They need to be blown up in front of everybody. And forgetting how much God has forgiven us. So you guys know the story. Jonah went, he went down to Joppa, which is just lower than Tel Aviv. And he got on a ship heading to Tarshish, heading the opposite direction, right? And this great storm breaks out in such a way that the sailors are all freaking out. Uh, the, the ship's starting to break up. They're tossing cargo over the side. And, and, you know, where do you find Jonah? He's sleeping down in the bottom of the boat. Does it remind you of somebody who made a reference to Jonah as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights? So shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights? So he's sleeping. And they start freaking out. The start, boat starts breaking up, and, and they're like, oh my gosh, you know. And then the captain comes to Jonah and he says, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. He says, perhaps that he will consider us so that we would not perish. And then the guy says, hey, he says to his crew, let's cast lots and see why this is happening, who the lots fall on to see who's causing this problem. They cast the lots, it falls on Jonah. They're like, what's going on? Dude, you're causing all of this. He's, he says, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And Jonah says to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And they just start freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh. You serve the God that made the heavens 
and the dry land and the sea. And the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said, what shall we do to you that the sea might be calmed? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. It was just the, the storm was getting more and more radical. And, and Jonah just says, well, just toss me into the ocean. Just toss me in the ocean and... Uh, you know, then everything's going to be all right. But nevertheless, the men kept rowing to try to return to land, and they couldn't because the sea continued to grow, and, and the, the storm was getting stronger and stronger. Now check this out. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. You know, even in our disobedience, God can work all things together for good, right? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, but he went the other direction, and all those sailors got saved. <laughs> God's like, oh, well, this is an opportunity, right? And so they start crying out to the Lord, to God. They start just putting their faith in God, and then you know what they did? As soon as they cried out to the Lord, they picked up Jonah, and they chucked him in the water. All right, dude, you're the problem. God showed us. Bye. Boom, threw him out there. He hit the pond and it went still. I always think of that when Jesus was in the boat going across the Galilee and the storm was so great and he was asleep in the bottom of the boat and they were all freaking out and they said, don't you care that we're going to die? And he gets up and he rebukes the sea and all of a sudden it just stops. Mere glass, water dripping off of everybody. Silence. What was that like? And then you guys, you guys know the story. Then... then um, as Jonah hit the water, all of a sudden, this great fish, this whale, just comes out of nowhere, swallows him, gone. And the guys must have went, ooh, oh, wow. Goner. I mean, that, that would make me feel like I was gone, right? Crazy. And it says, now, the Lord prepared a great fish, and it swallowed Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly and said this check out this prayer i cried out to the lord because of my affliction and he answered me out of the belly of hell i cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the sea and the flood surrounded me and all your billows and your waves passed over me then i said i have been cast out of your sight yet i will look again toward your holy temple that's faith the waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed round me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Can you imagine what it was like being in the belly of a whale? Just, just, oh my gosh, all the gastric juices and the seaweed and the other fish. Oh, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up my life. You've brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple and those that who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice you to you with a voice of thanksgiving and I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Changed his heart from bitterness to thanksgiving. Has God have to do, has to do that to you? Has he ever done that to you? He said, done it to me. Somebody wrongs you? Oh my gosh. I want justice. 
My heart can get bitter. And I've just got to constantly say, Lord, fill me afresh, fill me afresh. Take this away. Forgive me for my bitterness. Forgive me for this. I, it's a battle, isn't it? Especially when you had nothing to do. You're like, you were, you were done a, a dishonorable thing and, and you had nothing to do with it. And you're like, why? And how does God then turn that thing around on me and said, oh, Mitt, Steve, I need to work on the bitterness of your heart. Really? They're the one that did it. Why do I have to be worked on? Because I love you. And so all of a sudden he has this clarity. It's kind of weird to me that it took him like three days in the heart of the whale to, to kind of like, go, you know what, maybe this isn't working out for me. Okay, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> but we ain't much better, are we? And so the Lord heard him, and the Lord spoke to, this, to the fish, and the fish puked him out on dry land. And then God says, okay, now go do what I told you to do. Right? You know, it's funny, I teach kids during the week. We have a school, and, and I always try to put some, some good morals in there and how to treat your parents and things like that. And so I'll ask them questions. I'll say, so, so I said, guys, girls, what happens when your parents tell you to do something, you don't do it? And, you know, they raise their hand, they give their answers. Well, you know, we get in trouble or we get a timeout or we get put on restrictions or we get lickings, you know. And, and, uh, and I said, okay, and, and, and then what happens? And then they say, well, you know, we get lickings and then, and then we have to do what they said. And I'm like, so what's the easier way? And they're like, well, do what they say the first time. Isn't that us, though, with God? God's been talking to you. He's talking to someone in this room right now. He's been, asked, he's been calling you, and you haven't been responding. And, and like Jonah, we will go the other way until he makes his plan a little more clear. And so he tells Jonah, okay, Jonah, now it's time for you to go to that great city and to preach. And Jonah heads out. And I don't know what Jonah looked like. He probably looked like Casper the Friendly Ghost. Because bottom line is, if you're in the stomach of a whale like that, they have had situations like that before in real life. And this is real life. This is the Bible. And, and these guys, because of the acid in the stomach, it bleaches out their skin and it takes all the hair off their skin. So now here's this guy glowing like a light bulb, right? Puked up on the beach on his way to Nineveh. So he gets to Nineveh, this great city, which is probably about a million people. The city's so huge, it, it takes three days to cross it journeying. And so he makes his way in there, and he's like, he's like uh, you know, one day journey in. He figures, I'm in the heart of the city. Okay, time for the message. And he preaches an eight-word sermon, and everybody gets right. I'm a little jealous. He says, yet 40 days, and then if I will be destroyed. That's all he says. And I don't think he said it with a sincere heart. I didn't think he was grieving for anybody in Nineveh. He's like, oh, <laughs> yet 40 days, Nineveh's going to be destroyed. Ah. <laughs> I think he walked up and he looked at everybody, gave them stink, said, yet, yeah, you know, yet 40 days, Nineveh be destroyed. <laughs> right? I mean, I think that because what happens? Seriously. Because what does he do? He leaves the city and goes and sits outside of the city waiting for the fireworks. He's thinking, all right, here it comes. Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. Fire from Bristol. Come and help remember. Nuke that place. Party's on. Fourth of July. Right? But here's what happens. Everybody gets right. They start repenting. 
They start crying out to the true and living God. They cover themselves with sackcloth and ashes and they start fasting and no water and no food. And the word gets to the king and the king makes a decree and he calls out. He says, let no man, no woman, no beast eat or drink water. Cover yourself with sackcloth. Repent and hopefully God, the Lord of all creation, is going to have mercy on us and forgive us. Bible. And it says, then God saw their works and he turned from that they turned from their evil and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. And he didn't do it to them. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. <laughs> oh, man. So he prayed to the Lord. He said, oh, Lord, was this not what I said to you? Didn't I tell you the reason I didn't want to go to Nineveh? Because I knew you were a gracious and merciful God, and I knew if they changed their heart, you would heal them, you would forgive them, and you would show them mercy and kindness. This is why I didn't want to go there. I wanted them dead. Basically, that's what he's saying. I want justice. And how many Christians today lack grace? and mercy and all they want is judgment and we forgot how much God has forgiven us and God's got to do a little work in, in his heart he's Jonah's like I know that you're gracious and you're merciful slow to anger abundant in loving kindness I knew that if they changed their minds and repented that you were going to forgive them I knew this was going to happen I just want to die just kill me Lord I can't take any more of this. So what does he do? He goes out and he makes this little booth outside of town. And, and he, you know, because it's shade, they're out in the desert and everything. It's so hot. And so God now gives him an object lesson. He says, okay, here's the deal. He, he allows this plant to grow over by his booth. And it's got this big gourd on it. And the plant grows and it covers over. And so when Jonah wakes up in the morning, he sees this plant. He sees this gourd. And it's enough. It's so big that it covers his head for shade. And he just falls in love with that little plant. And, and so he's just like, oh, thank God for this plant. Oh, this little plant, such a precious little plant. And then that night, God creates a divine worm that's able to destroy that whole plant in one night. And he wakes up in the morning, and now he's all bitter. Oh, where's my, where's my plant? Where's my gourd? I can't believe this. It's destroyed. What's going on? And then God allowed this strong east wind to blow that was super hot and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself. He said, it's better for me to die than live. And, and God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, is it right for me to be angry even unto death? But the Lord said, you have had pity on a plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? And that's how he ends the story. So he ends the story by saying, listen, you know, you're all worried about a plant that you didn't make, you didn't labor for, you didn't put any effort into it. And here you want judgment on a city that has 120,000 little kids who are innocent. 
and you want them smoked too? Where's your heart? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I believe, my opinion, because historic writings talk about there's a monument to Jonah in Nineveh. I believe that rock Jonah. I believe that changed his heart. I believe he went back in that city and he loved on those people and spent his last days. That's what I think. That's just my opinion. Because when the heart of God gets through to you, you have a heart for people. And you care. You care for the ones that aren't easy to care for. And you love those who hate you. And you love those that are hard to love. And so he tells us there in Ephesians that we are to be submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, you cannot do that until you submit yourself to God. And if you're not willing to submit yourself to God, how are you going to be able to do the other things that He's asking you to do? You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be thankful. You need to be grateful. You need to be encouraging one another, building one another up, being willing to serve one another. We need to esteem others higher than ourselves. To meet the needs of the young and old. Humbling yourself to serve little kids and the elderly. My hat goes off to those in children's ministry. Because, you know, they're, they're, they're humbling themselves. They're, they're wiser, smarter. They know more than the kids. But because they've submitted themselves unto God, they're willing to teach the kids to train them up in the ways of the Lord. So when they get older, they won't depart. And then that same person can go to the elderly. I love sitting with the elderly and listening to them talk. There's so much wisdom. They didn't get old being fools. And you listen to them, and they can, they can really encourage you. But being able to serve them, though they, they're, they're wiser, they're smarter, but you're, you're submitting yourself to them, and you're doing that unto the Lord. And that's great stuff. That's what, we're, that's what we are called to do. We are called to be servants. Mark 10.44 says, And whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. That went over big, didn't it? Yeah. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He was the perfect example. Can you find anywhere in the Bible where, where Jesus is asking people to serve Him? No, He was serving everybody. He humbled himself. He was, he was even just showing love and kindness towards the Pharisees too. I mean, yeah, he did go off on them, but he was reaching out. The only, person he went, the only people he went off on in the Gospels was the religious leaders who thought that they were so much better than everybody, filled with pride. Pride will keep you from serving God. Pride will keep you from encouraging one another. Pride will keep you from having grace and mercy. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. That's like a nice plaque for the house, isn't it? <laughs> submit yourself to your parents, huh, kids? Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. In Philippians 2, actually, we should probably read that. I mean, probably the whole chapter. I mean, it's like crazy good. Philippians chapter 2, just a couple pages to the right. Um, verse 1 says this, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, 
fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambitions or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but for also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Wow, how powerful is that? Jesus did that. Are we willing to die to ourselves and to pick up our cross and follow after him? Do you understand that, that when you have humility, true humility, it creates unity? But if you're ungrateful, that causes division. Mark 9, verse 33 says this, Then he came to Capernaum. So here's Jesus. They're coming to Capernaum. He's got the disciples with them, and they're all arguing who's the greatest. Isn't that? I don't know. I thought that was funny. He came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them and says, what, what were you disputing amongst yourselves about on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road, they were disputing among themselves who would be the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, John, you ain't nothing. I'm Peter. I'm great. Look at me. I'm big. I'm strong. I'm a fisherman. I can haul in a net all by myself. I'm the greatest. No, you're not the greatest. I'm the greatest. We're the sons of thunder. Come on. And then Jesus sits him down. He sits down at the 12. He says to him, if any desires to be first, he shall be last. If any desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and he set him in the midst of them. And when he had spoken to, to them, he, he, when he had taken this little child, he put him in his arms and he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me. Whoever, whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so he takes a, the example of a little child because a little child, you know, when you've got like a little child or a little infant, a baby, they need everything from you. And are you willing to give them everything? And that's the point he's trying to make here. And then in John um, 13, if you want to turn there, go to the left. John 13. Some great stuff there. Starting at verse 1, we've got the Feast of Passover taking place. We're coming into the Last Supper. John 13, 1. Now before the Feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew His hour had come, that He should depart from the world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray the Lord. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose up from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel. He girded himself 
And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will now after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said, If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter then says, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands, my head, wash me all over. Jesus said to him, He who, is ba- he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. And then he says, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, and he sat down again, and he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Wash one another's feet. Be others-minded. Be others-centered and not self-centered. You know, you can give truth to people without being a jerk. It was his love and kindness. Jesus came bringing grace and truth, but it was his love and kindness that led us to repentance. That's a word for us. And pride will keep us from all these things that we're talking about today. I wrote some things down about pride. I wrote, pride will keep us uh, from the things that God's telling us to do. Pride produces jealousy. Pride wants to be number one. I want the preeminence. Pride wants to be looked up to. I want to be recognized. They need that pat on the back. Pride will keep us from humbling ourselves. Pride will keep us from serving God. Pride will keep us from being grateful and thankful. Pride will keep us from submitting. Pride will keep us from becoming the least, the servant of all. Pride only cares about self. Pride wants it my way or I'm out. And may I encourage you in closing. There's a cup that God wants all of us to drink from, and it's the cup of sacrifice. The cup that says, I die to myself, I pick up my cross, and I follow after Jesus. I only listen to Him. I don't listen to anybody else, and I don't even listen to my own heart, because my heart is wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? He knows it. We need to submit ourselves to one another. We need to wash one another's feet. And you know what that means. It means serve. Esteeming others higher than yourself. We need to come alongside each other. We need to build each other up. We need to pour into each other. We need to serve one another. And doing it all without expecting anything in return. Listen, if you serve others and you don't ever expect anything in return, you will never be let down. And all these things can never happen unless you're filled with the Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us it's all about you. (laughs) Oh, Lord, what a mess we've made of things. Oh, Lord, I'll just say what a mess I've made of things and how much I need more of you. I need you. Oh, I need you.
And Lord, I pray that you would fill us right now afresh with the Holy Spirit, that we would have grace and kindness and mercy, building up one another, speaking good things to one another, encouraging, washing one another's feet, coming alongside, building up, having grace and mercy towards one another and esteeming others higher than ourselves, Lord God. We do all this unto you because you are worth it. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.